If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. Welcome to another episode of And Security for All. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed the holidays and got some rest and relaxation. I can't believe we're here in 2023. It's actually been about a month since I've been on air again. Our last show right before the holidays, right before um, Christmas and Hanukkah, uh, Eddie Doyle from Checkpoint hosted our show. It was a great show. As a reminder for all of you out there, we have two outlets of our listeners our radio show listeners on Voice America. You can find that channel anywhere that you listen to your favorite podcast. Just search and security for all. And you can find that show if you want to catch up on any of our past shows. We also have our LinkedIn Live followers who tune in weekly and um, many of them catch this show on demand. So thank you all for being loyal listeners and welcome to all of our new listeners out there. As many of you know, I am the CEO of FutureCon Events. We host cybersecurity conferences all over North America. We are ramping up for our 2023 road tour. We have about 28 events we're doing this year. Um, This month, we are heading out. Next week, we actually have a virtual show, and we have the VP CISO from uh, Fleet Corps um, out of Atlanta. He's our keynote speaker there, Ken Foster. And then right after that, we're heading to the House of Blues in Dallas, and then we are off to Los Angeles. So check out our events at futureconevents.com. I am sure that we are probably, chances are, coming somewhere um, where you all might happen to reside. So definitely check us out and check our shows out. So how is everyone doing out there for um, this year and with their New Year's resolutions? Did anyone bother to uh, have one? I actually did. Mine was try to get more sleep in 2023. Any of you guys out there that know me know I work late at night and I end up sending emails to sometimes 3 a.m. It's so bad when I end up so sleep deprived. So January 1st, I got a great night's sleep. January 2nd, I got a great night's sleep. And then the last two nights, I was up all night. So I quickly broke my resolution the last two nights. But I'm going to continue to try to work on that. Last year at our events, we have a lot of CISOs that keynote our events, and we have a lot of CISO panels, and one of the big topics we discussed was work-life balance, and I think that should be the theme for all of us in 2023. Time goes by so fast, and we should all be enjoying balance of it at all. It's certainly hard um, to do that in the cybersecurity industry, which actually leads me to the topic we're going to discuss today. Um, The management of your data security posture, or as some may refer to it as DSPM. Um, Today, I have Dimitri Sirotto. He is the CEO and co-founder of Big ID, 
and I'm anxious to talk to him. I don't know a lot about Big ID, but it's an intelligence platform that helps customers solve data protection, data privacy, data governments challenges. It was founded in 2016, and we'll learn more about that. Welcome to the show, Dimitri. Hey, Cam. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Friday, 3 o'clock, uh, doing well. So how about you? Did you make a New Year's resolution this year? I'm doing a little bit more exercise. Uh, I hope to travel a little bit less. Uh, I, I travel more most most of the month, uh, most weeks. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that's that's about it. Maybe try and drink a little bit less, uh, eat a little <laughs> bit less. Uh, um, but yeah, and maybe travel a little bit less. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you on all of those. So I do yeah. try to. I, I definitely am pretty good about working out. I, I have I have had that in my life pretty much for the last 30 years, I try to most mornings go to the gym for my mental health, you know, and I, I, I go to the gym, I make some calls on the way there and I spend about 10 minutes and then I, so I, I, I got to stay longer. <laughs> so that's, but, that's yeah, the trick. Getting a trainer, the trainer yeah. helps because I don't like listening to people. I don't want, they're always telling me what to do. I don't like that. That's why I started a company. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hear you. I happen to find a new trainer that doesn't talk to me too much. So that's yeah. okay with me. He just, he, yeah. but not talking makes me work out harder. So. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, well, tell us a little bit about like you and how long, you know, how you founded Big ID. I definitely, I've seen you guys out there at yeah. big shows and, I we haven't had the you know opportunity to have you guys at our events and um, just tell us a little bit about Big ID and how you founded that company and you know how everything's going with Big ID. Yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, as uh, you mentioned, we started in 2016 uh, with a focus on helping organizations deal with compliance of data and meeting, uh, addressing some of the new requirements around uh, privacy, which created some nuances in terms of uh, providing transparency to consumers, employees. Uh, but also in terms of what you needed to do to to deliver kind of integrity and confidence in the data. And so we started with that. We started selling around 2018. Um, so uh, I think our first customer was uh, was 2018, uh, Nike, I believe. And then, um, uh, yeah, we've just been kind of growing since then. Um, we are now about 500 people. Um, headquarters is technically New York, although I moved down like a lot of people uh, to Miami over the past year. Um, engineering is is in a few places, mostly in in uh, Tel Aviv in Israel. Uh, I have a co-founder in Israel, uh, so we started the company together, and uh, we had worked together. I had sold a previous uh, security company, and the company that bought mine, uh, he worked there, and we we worked on kind of strategy and innovation at that company, and. And so we were thinking a little bit about kind of the horizon of where, where data security is going to go, especially in light of some of the new regulations that were coming coming around in financial services and healthcare uh, in privacy. And so uh, we started talking about it after, you know, after the company that bought mine, I kind of stayed two years, got my best, I got my green card uh, so I could live in the States without getting kicked out. And then... Um, uh, took off. We workshopped it, and then uh, got started early in 2016 with a couple of people in uh, uh, in Israel. I worked out of my backyard in uh, New York, and we built a prototype. We picked up the phone, started calling people to see who'd be interested in it, and uh, like I said, started getting our first customers in uh, early 2018. Well, that's exciting, and so. DSPM, is that actually, um, that's the first time I've seen that acronym, and is that actually a 
eight, is that something that people refer to and know what DSPM means? Uh, Gartner does. I'm not sure if everybody does. So, you know, acronyms have a, have a way of evolving. I think, you know, back in the 2010s, there were, there were three letters in cyber, DAM, uh, DLP, uh, DRM. Uh, in this, this decade, they seem to be more in the four letter, CSPM, DSPM. Um, and essentially, so we've always been focused on data security and compliance from the get-go. And we started off in the cloud. So our very first implementation was 100%. Uh, SaaS, and then we provided hybrid cloud solutions because we catered to very large organizations that needed solutions that were kind of a bit more bespoke that, you know, ran where they wanted to run and in countries where they wanted us to run. Um, what's, what's emerged as, as we grew in scale. So look, we, we started as a pipsqueak, um, and then had a kind of a good first year in 2018, a good first, second year in 2019, kind of following that kind of privacy uh, momentum. And have continued to grow, right? And we won a number of recognitions, whether it's RSA Innovation Sandbox winner, uh, Gartner Cool Cool Vendor, uh, Cloud 100 Vendor several years in a row, um, Deloitte 500 uh, Fast Growing Company several years. This year we were 21. Uh, Inc. 5000. I think last year we were number one in security in the Inc. 5000, which again, based on your financials, uh, CNBC it named us one of the top 25. So, so the and partly that's you know not not. It's, I guess, humble brag, but, but really what that's really intended to show is that the problem of data security and compliance has continued to grow, right? I think it's become more center stage, partly because there's more regulations, partly because organizations are accelerating their shift to the cloud, and there they kind of feel a little bit more exposed uh, than they did when they were in the data center. Um, uh, and the nuances in the cloud are a little bit unique and different, right? So in the cloud, you have certainly much higher volume of data that you collect. The velocity of change in that data is much faster, right? You, you just, you know, there's no, there's no uh, friction to just add more data to your Snowflake, to your Redshift, to your uh, EMR. Um, the variety of data, right? There are thousands of different SaaS applications, public cloud platform applications, dev tools that are in the cloud. And they all have slightly, you know, some are for documents, some are for images, some are for, are for data streams, some are for relational information like SQL, some are things in between like um, uh, DocumentDB and key value stores. And so you have a lot, a lot higher variety. And so the complexity, when you kind of mix those three things around the, partic the particulars of the cloud, the growth of kind of compliance and that kind of like vulnerability that organizations feel, because again, it's no longer, the data is no longer resident behind their four walls where they could padlock the doors to um, the data center. I think what in the last couple of years, and, and, and of course in our growth and, and some of the other companies we started with, it's given rise to this kind of rethink that maybe you need a dedicated definition for this problem of data security uh, in the cloud, cloud native data security, if you will, for the multi-cloud, you know, AWS, GCP, Azure, but also for SaaS applications. And so Gartner, um, and, you know, we've been, Gartner's been following us and, and again, we're plenty of their hype cycles and, and cool vendors and so forth. But I think what they decided to do is coin a term as what Gartner tends to do. And they, they came up with data security posture management to reflect this growing need of understanding the risk around your data and being able to remediate that risk, um, particularly in the cloud. Uh, but again, also spanning your, your hybrid environment. So can you give us, can you, you know, one thing about this show is 
the people that listen to us on LinkedIn, they're they're pretty. They're most of them are cybersecurity professionals. But the people that live um, that listen to us through Voice America, a lot of them tune in to just learn a little bit more about cybersecurity. So they this may sure. be way out of their element. What data security posture? What what that even means, and what the management of that means? Can you break that down and tell us? what you're doing for clients and what positive things you're seeing by um, acclimating, you know, these, these policies. Sure. So I think the, the whole kind of use of the term posture maybe originated several years ago with uh, another set of new companies that focused on cloud configuration management, basically making sure you don't misconfigure, misconfigure your cloud settings. Um, and then in so doing create vulnerabilities or, or exposures. And, that class of vendors and examples are Wiz and Orca, um, uh, Palo Alto, some of your audience may have heard of, has a, has a platform called Prisma in that space. And that's called Cloud Security Posture Management. And so from then on, there's been this kind of family of posture management. So what they really talk about is how do you understand the cloud environment? So going beyond just understanding the risk around the data, but understanding the environmental risk. And I'll give you some examples. What if you have open access on, let's say, S3, which is a type of data store in Amazon or AWS? What happens if everybody has access to that? Well, that could be uh, very compromising, right? You may have passwords in there. You may have uh, voter roles in there. And so that would, that would represent this kind of hybridization of understanding that you have risky data, like passwords or like voter roles. And then you have a risky kind of environmental variable, like it's open access. Anybody can go in and access to that. Um, other examples, maybe you have duplicate data. Maybe the data is leaving your, your environment and going to another country. And there's all these new data sovereignty regulations that preclude or, or prohibit some of that. So data security posture management is kind of that evolution from cloud security posture, the vendors I exampled. But with a particular focus on data, right, that kind of fulcrum, that kind of pivot, because data at the end of the day is really, um, you know, there's really, you know, if you peel back what security is about the modern cyber world, it's really about two things. It's about resiliency, you know, so that some bad actor can't take your data center down, so they can't kind of bring your servers down. So that's, that's one thing. And second, it's about protecting the data, right? So you don't get um, exfiltration or exposure of maybe your customer data maybe your uh, customer's health data, maybe your, your intellectual property for planes that you're building. So really that's all of the whole, the 40,000 companies that exist in cyber are really kind of, you could categorize as really about resiliency, right? Stopping bad actors from taking you down through kind of like DDoS and things, or really about protecting data. Now they may focus on endpoint, they may focus on the data, et cetera. DSPM is really about the data, right? What could you do by understanding the sensitivity and the risk of the data? And then understanding the surrounding uh, risk from the associated um, environment, open access, overprivileged access, duplication, um, uh, cross-border transfer, third-party transfer. And so DSPM is really kind of an umbrella term for understanding the risk around your data and providing organizations, security professionals, the type of insights so that they could reduce or remove those risks. Right. So if I find something is open, I may get really alarmed and I may want to make it less open. Right. Maybe close it down, restrict access. Uh, and so DSPM is an attempt by Gartner to, one, borrow this kind of this whole kind of evolution of cloud security posture management that, that trend around 
understanding the posture of your uh, um, uh, cyber profile. But with a particular focus on data, because again, data is one of those two things that at the end of the day is, is really, really important, whether it's your customer data, your employee data, whether it's your regulated data like GLBA for financial services or HIPAA for healthcare, or even your intellectual property, your crown jewels in the organization. And so Gartner attempted to kind of, again, use some of the naming uh, convention previously already defined for this configuration management in the cloud, take it to cloud, take it to data, because data, again, is, is one of the kind of two linchpins uh, in cybers or one of the things that you kind of want to protect most. Uh, and it's kind of a bit of a catch-all. And so we've been doing it before DSPM was ever defined. So DSPM is a new acronym. Um, it's all of, I think, since August of last year when, when Gartner coined it. But the problem of data security predates the acronym. And so Big ID was one of the pioneers of this notion that cloud introduces a whole degree of challenges around velocity, variety, um, uh, and volume. Um, and therefore, you need to treat it differently. And so we've been kind of at that since 2016, long before somebody uh, in Gartner coined the, the acronym DSPM. So what, um, when you, who are typically your, your customers? Is there a certain industry or a certain um, kind of framed customer that you're looking for? Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I think our, certainly our first customers, I would kind of say, fall into two large camps. Uh, one is regulated industries. Uh, regulated industries have regulated data, and they typically have regulators. Um, either agencies, uh, state governments, federal governments um, that are challenging them around how they're using their data. So regulated industries, whether they have health regulated data, financial regulated data, you know, obviously this is a big deal and they have a lot of people kind of watching them. So regulated industries. The second group I would say are people that just sit on a lot of consumer data, right? They have uh, customer data, they do direct customer interactions, I think that's where we started. Now, the companies evolved, and as we've evolved, the markets evolved. Today, we have companies in the energy sector, we have companies in the manufacturing sector, we have companies in the transportation sector, we have companies in, in you know, the acronyms refer to CMT, communications, media, and technology. So our, our kind of universe of customers really is kind of anybody that has data, which is pretty much every company. Uh, it is every company, because people have data in their email, they have data in their um, uh, file folder. Uh, uh, but when we started, I would say those are the two two buckets. Uh, again, people that had a lot of consumer data and therefore were, were subject to a lot of the privacy regulations like GDPR and CCPA, uh, CCPA being the California rule, GDPR being the European one. And then secondly, people that had a lot of, a lot of regulated data, financial services, healthcare, things of that sort. So what, like with some of the latest data breach, breaches that we've had, and I know, you know, I'm just kind of, there's some vendors out there that have had some data breaches in yeah. the month of December. So, and I, you know, I don't really, and I know Twitter had some stuff happening. What, yeah. what kind of things, what are you seeing with those companies? How would they, how could they have done things better? Yeah. So I think the industry of security and cyber, the people that are kind of exhibiting at your shows, I think for the better part of the last kind of maybe 20 years, have been very, very focused on detecting the breach, um, you know, seeing that there's a bad actor in my network and maybe trying to lock it down. The challenge with that approach, and obviously you still need to do that, right? You want to be able to find out when the burglars come in and this is kind of like the ring 
detection system that people have in their houses. You want to be able to do that, right? But there's also a secondary, because, you know, by the time you figure that out, it may be already too late. Yes, you could call the cops, but the burglars already come in. They found your, your jewelry, maybe uh, your cash and your wallet, maybe maybe a few other things. And they've kind of absconded with, with that information. So in addition to, you know, kind of the, the detection and response, if you will, you also need a good deal of prevention. And prevention begins by understanding where, you know, what data do you have? What do you have of value? Your crown jewels, right? So, you know, I, I don't have a lot of jewelry, but imagine that I had diamonds and, and emeralds and, uh, and rubies lying around loose, maybe Rolexes. And, and I actually did work. My dad had a jewelry store and I worked in it when I was a kid. So we did have that in the jewelry store. And you need to understand where your crown jewels are from a data perspective, right? Now, maybe the, the data crown jewel doesn't say ruby and doesn't say emerald, but it could be your customer data. It could be your employee data. It could be your intellectual property patents. It could be a recipe for some new, new version of Coke. Um, that's all crown jewel data, right? There may, it may be regulated, but it's high value. It's also high risk. And so what we've kind of introduced is this notion that if you know your data in advance, you, and you know the risk around the environment about how the data is stored, where it is, is it duplicate, is it leaving the organization, is it accessible by anybody? If you know those two things long before the bad person comes in and tries to steal, and that bad person could be an employee, it could be you know an agent from a foreign government. But if you have that information in advance, you could do prevention, right? So think about the analogy of my dad's jewelry store, Paulo Jewelers. I could put the rubies in a safe, right? I could put it in a kind of a lockbox or someplace that's secure. I could make sure there's no cash lying around on the counters and make sure that's deposited in the bank in advance. So all of those crown jewels in the jewelry store, if you do prevention, this kind of hygiene and housekeeping by understanding what do I have lying around, um, I, could, I could take steps in advance before the bad actor comes in. And so companies like Big ID, and I would argue the DSPM more broadly, this data security posture, is really an attempt to prevent that incident by giving you that kind of actionable insight around what sensitive data do I have? What are the risks surrounding that data based on kind of where it is and how it's being used and accessed so that I could take steps to reduce that risk? long before some nefarious uh, actor comes in and tries to either take it again, whether it's an insider like an employee or an outsider like a, a rogue, rogue national agent. And so DSPM to some degree, I would argue, is that kind of before step, right? If you do your job well, you will have a much, no matter what actor tries to kind of take your information, it'll all be kind of locked away. It'll be reduced, it'll be minimized. The risk will be, substantially uh, decreased. And so any impact from somebody getting into your, your house will be met less, right? Everything's in a lockbox or everything's deposited in the bank or, or whatever. So again, DSPM to some degree, and this is kind of what, what Big ID kind of felt, is that yes, you need detection response in terms of bad actors coming in, but there's been a lot of investment and a lot of innovation there for the past 20 years. Now you need, we need to figure out how to do some of that prevention by better knowing your data and knowing the risk around your data so you can take steps around reducing that risk well in advance of anything bad happening. So do you feel like the first layer of a company's protection 
is, you know, knowing your security posture or the DSPM or whatever you might want to call it, or is it training on phishing attacks? Because is your is your security only as good as someone that is going to come and try to fish and get into your data? Very, very different. So look, again, what is that kind of like incident that happens, you know, spear phishing where you're basically pretending to be, um, um, you're spoofing an identity, you're coming in and saying, I'm Apple, I'd like you to kind of send me your, your password. At the end of the day, that's a kind of a, a kind of a social engineering attempt to get credentials, passwords, to get into your organization and rummage around looking for sensitive data. That's another one of these types of like attack vectors, right? Uh, and there's many attack vectors. There's supply chain. There's many, many attack vectors. And like I said, there's a variety of technologies that try and detect these attack vectors, right? Stop the vectors, whether it's, it's a spurious email, um, uh, whether it's uh, somebody coming in through a piece of software, a compromised piece of software, whatever that is. But what I'm getting at is that long before all that stuff happens, and you need this stuff, this is all great stuff, and there's a lot of investment in technology there. You also need to understand your data situation, your situational awareness, so that you could take preventative steps, right? You talked about protection. The first step to effective protection is, is effective prevention, right? Um, and so that kind of preventative step. So DSPM is not this kind of real-time detection effort where, oh, I found a bad guy and they're coming in and they're coming in on this port. DSPM is really an attempt to understand your um, the risk around your data based on the sensitivity of the data and based on the how the data is being accessed and used and then trying to do something about it long before a bad actor comes in. So it's a preventative step, right? It's like we talked a little bit about diet and, and kind of what we what we committed to for the for 2023. It's why we do exercise, right? It's preventative. It's why we eat better. It's preventative. It's why we sleep better, right? It's it's intended to be preventative. And I think in security for a long, long time, that has been an afterthought. Everything was really about what you know, how big of a padlock do I need on my door? Well, what we've learned over the last 20 years is no size padlock is going to be good enough, right? It is impossible to stop a determined outside or inside actor, right? It could be an insider, like an employee that is angry at their boss or whatever. And so now we need to balance that kind of detection response with prevention, right? What can we do beforehand to make sure that our crown jewels are effectively protected and secure long before uh, I have to deal with somebody breaking into my house. You know, so for a CEO or a board of directors, you know, the people that the CISO is reporting to, you know, how um, how are they handling who has access to the data? And I mean, it, it's like take a bank, for instance, you know, you have several layer, yeah. layers, you know, I just, you know, had to do some I don't always work with the banks that much, but on a personal note, I had to do some things with the bank and there's like a whole different floor I went to, you know, and I didn't know about that floor. So it was, it, I don't want to like 
put my personal stuff out there, but it was just interesting to me that there, I didn't know this was a smaller bank that they had a whole nother floor with all kinds of people that handle, you know, business, business type loans, business type payments. And how are these banks, for instance, how are they keeping control of who has access to the data and who has ha access to the crown jewels? And it's almost yeah. Like, are they going sure. to have security so like a, a background check now? You know, it's just a little scary of who has access to your data. Well, yeah, look, one hundred percent. Well, first of all, most companies do background checks. We know Big Idea is an example doesn't hire anybody without doing a background check. Um, and I, I would probably argue that's true for most uh, most companies today, including including regular industries. I guess um, I'm talking because I'm I was military. I'm not just talking about a simple background check. I mean, are you having? No, no, no I, I know. I, I wasn't finished. I'm just uh, yeah. what I was getting at is there are, there are technologies. And remember, we're going through this inflection point, right? This kind of second derivative. Uh, change where we most of the data was stored in a data center uh, for a long, long time, right? That was the kind of state of the art. More and more data is now shifting to the cloud. Another cloud could be Google, could be Amazon, it could be Microsoft, it could be Salesforce, it could be Workday, it could be SAP, many, many places you could keep uh, data in the cloud. Uh, but because of that, it makes those technologies I bought for the data center for either managing access, detecting access, less relevant, right? Different places I stored my data when I had a, a physical data center in New Jersey than when the data is kind of diffuse in the, in the cloud. Um, and so I do think companies have obviously, this, we're not the first ones to detect this idea, oh, I gotta know what my employees have access to, or I have to limit. And it's really a hodgepodge of technologies. There was no one unifying technology that provided you global access control, both from a visibility or intelligence standpoint, as well as an enforcement. Like I'm gonna restrict access to this group or this person. In the cloud, I think there is a hope that you can get to that unifying technology. So instead of having a patchwork quilt where I may have one technology for my email, another technology for my SQL database, another technology for my file server, Maybe there is a way for us to accommodate all the places I keep data, my couch base, my snowflake, my data bricks, my S3, my Dynamo, my Redshift, my Azure blog um, with one technology. And, and certainly that is what Big ID strives to do, right? We strive to give you that kind of situational awareness around the data, those kind of instructions and actions to be able to take risk, and there are many forms of that, whether it's uh, encryption, whether it's reduction, whether it's restriction of access, but certainly our ambition, and I'm not saying we do all things for all data in every way, but certainly our ambition is to provide a single platform that can deliver on that dream, on that vision, that all things around understanding your data and then being able to prevent um, damage or, or that damage could be exfiltration, it could be um, uh, misuse in one solution. And we've done a number of things to, to do that. Obviously, we, we support, we built support for hundreds of more, more data sources than anybody else uh, in the land. Um, secondly, we built this modular, almost Lego-like application framework, just like you have on your iPhone or your Google phone, where you can get apps, right? The apps can extend, they do another thing, right? 
I want to get a car, I can get the Uber app or the Lyft app. I want to get groceries, I can get the Instacart app. It's still the same phone. So we have this kind of baseline uh, 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 data platform on Big ID. And then we're the first ones in our kind of data security space that have said, hey, we could add apps to let you do access control, maybe on SQL or maybe on uh, uh, my file server or maybe my email. So now we're getting closer to this vision of I could provide a complete platform to know my data and then control my data. And um, that's kind of what where we're headed with our vision for DSPM. And I was just being a little bit of a devil's advocate because I've been doing this show for a couple of years and we've had a lot of threat hunters on here and pen testers and, you know, that they, we're they not one of them. Us. they're fun to have on the show actually, because their stories are really we're interesting. Not. It's just like this too, right? Yeah. So they've had some very, very interesting stories. So it takes me back to, again, you know, it, it's just, it's their stories taint my trust and some of the um, some of the the financial institutions out there because of the stories and they're so simple the simple things that they do to get by you know some of these financial institutions. So look, what- I, I think it's look data is a challenge for the re- for the three kind of V's I gave before. It's voluminous. Um, it it has a very large variety of the way it can be stored and, and what is the definition of data. And there's a high velocity of change. And that creates a high degree of complexity. It requires uh, solutions that can accommodate all the various places you store data from NetApp to EMC to S3 to GCP, et cetera. Um, it requires you to be able to deal with change to like, you know, cause data is getting created, you know, what is it like it's doubling every year or something uh, is the kind of the latest stat. So you need new technology, right? And obviously when we started, not only were we cloud native, but we leveraged ML and AI in everything, right? Because there's no other way to do it, right? There's no other way to deal with that volume and variety and velocity of data. And so, look, I think, I think technologies like ours were really, kind of, really of this moment to help you understand your data. Like I described, know your data, or that situational awareness of your data. And then be able to go from there to give you instructions to how do you reduce the risk? Again, long before that bad actor comes in and tries to steal your data, steal your employee's um, uh, employment offer or social security number or whatever that is, how do we how do we kind of help you by maybe encrypt, identifying that you have social security numbers and encrypting them? Or maybe finding that you have loose passwords lying around in your organization and getting rid of them? Right. Those are examples of things that you could do long before the bad actor comes in. And so pen testing, all of those things, like I said, those are examples of really about creating a shell so that you stop the bad guy and detect the bad guy as they come in. And what I'm saying is that what we've learned over 20 years is it's not enough. Right. There is no impenetrable shell that you could build. There's not there's wall. There's no wall high enough. There's no, uh, there's no amount of security cameras that you could put on to detect the, the bad guy. And so instead, instead of le- leaving your, your house, your data house, your data estate, looking like a teenager's room where everything is strewn everywhere and nobody knows where anything is, by putting things in order and identifying, hey, wait a second, I have some jewelry here. I can put that in the safe. I have some dollars here. I can deposit that at a bank. 
Um, I have like 18 versions of this. Maybe I don't need that. By doing some of that in advance, you could prevent a lot of those those bad events um, and not be so completely dependent on, again, tall walls with, with security cameras. So how often do you approach maybe a potential customer that might say, we're good, we don't need your help? And then how often do you surprise them that, wow, I didn't realize I was so vulnerable? Yeah, so look, look if, if, we, if every customer knew that they needed this, we would be bigger than Microsoft. Right. Uh, but, but look, you know, not everybody does, right? You know, Palo Alto didn't start off with, with 10,000 employees. They started off with two. And in any space, there's a growth and a maturation uh, as companies um, understand this, as they get audited by external um, auditors, uh, regulators, I mean, as boards become more aware of this, right? There's more breach incidents. Um, uh, so I think the awareness for this is growing. And look, you see that in, in Big ID. Right, we were not at the Lloyd Fast Five Hundred company, which requires your audited financials. Right, it's not like I can just say we're number twenty-one and they trust us. You know, we have to give them our growth numbers, and they have to be audited by somebody they recognize, like a Deloitte. Um, and so, um, you know, we're growing because again, there's this larger and larger awareness that you need to be able to prevent the bleeding, right? That 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 disease and. There's behaviors, and again, Gartner's come up with this term of data security posture management to talk about this kind of hygiene around your, your data um, that you could do um, to stop that. And, and look, and it's growing. Like, again, we're 500 people today. We were 200 people a year and a half ago. So we've obviously grown. Um, and, and look, you even see that in terms of the companies that have invested in us, right? SAP. Very, very well-known uh, uh, technology company is an investor in us. ServiceNow is an investor in us. Uh, Salesforce is an investor in us. Uh, MongoDB is an investor in us. HPE, which which one of the leaders in kind of like data storage, is an investor in us. Splunk, one of the lead, leaders in security, is an investor in us. On top of that, Amazon is a go-to-market partner. Snowflake is a go-to-market partner. Uh, Microsoft is. So IBM is going to start reselling us. The reason they work with us is because we do something very, very important. We help organizations, again, get knowledge, awareness, situational understanding around their data. And then we let them do something about that in terms of reducing that risk. It's a hard problem because of the volume of uh, uh, velocity and variety. Um, but again, it's a, it's a problem that newer vendors like ops are trying to tackle. And we just happen to be one of the pioneers in the space. Well, congratulations on all your success. That's, that's a really amazing story. Um, and I, I believe I saw, well, you guys were out at RSA, right? I'm kind of thinking I saw a big booth. Did you yeah. Place? I think you had a room. We had a big booth. We had a, we had a restaurant. We had, yeah. uh, I think we had like um, clowns walk, walking around. Yeah, yeah I remember we spent that. a lot of money at RSA. <laughs> I remember that. Um, yeah. But um, so what do you think, like, as far as the non-security practitioner that's out there, this, uh, going back to the CEOs and the board of directors, what do you think there's a big difference from, let's just say, pre-COVID, like, you know, 2019 up to 2023? Do you, what do you think the differences are of people thinking about their security posture from then to now? 
Uh, I think, again, I think the big change uh, during COVID is I think um, as people started working from home, I think there was a decision made in a, large, a, lot of, a lot of companies where they wanted to retire their data center, right? They didn't want to send employees to like, you know, plug in servers or build servers or doing any of that when you had companies like Amazon and Google and Salesforce that could do everything for you. Um, so I think cloud obviously predated COVID, right? People were, were in the cloud from the late, uh, like 2008 on. But I think because of COVID, that acceleration to the cloud has only grown. At the same time, and this again predates COVID, it's not COVID specific, but there's definitely been a secular trend around new regulations around data, right? You started, you, you, there's been regulations around data like PCI for payment card data, with, you know, your credit cards since the dawn of retail, online retail. You know, then there was HIPAA for digital kind of uh, digital health health records. Then, you know, Graham Leachy uh, after the financial crisis around financial data. Um, and, and, you know, now there's export controls because co countries don't trust each other like ITAR. So the number of these kind of like regulatory frameworks has grown and grown. And then there became these kind of like ones that, you know, entered the lexicon of like, you know, a lot of this audience, like GDPR in Europe. You know, users have a right to know what companies do with their data or uh, CCPA, which is kind of like California GDPR. And so all of a sudden you have these two kind of um, this intersection of two big trends. Um, on the one hand, you have this movement to the cloud where my data is kind of out there. I no longer can pinpoint exactly where it is. So it's, it's out of my control, right? So if I want to control it, and if I want to know about it, I got to do something about it. Cause I, before I could, I knew, knew exactly where it was, right? I had an address, a physical address I could go to in New Jersey. Now I don't have that. Secondly, is just the number of people that are looking over my shoulders around my data, saying, you got to know your data, you got to be able to tell me where is Dimitri's data, uh, where is Kim's data, where, where is your patent data, where is your um, uh, financial data, where is your public disclosures, has just grown and grown. And those two intersections, you know, I, I grew up in a place called Winnipeg, which most of your audience will never have heard of, maybe the Jets if they follow hockey. We had two rivers. We had the Red River, we had the Assiniboine River, and they intersected. And in a similar vein, you have this intersection of these two trends. And that is what's kind of giving rise to this greater demand, greater awareness that companies have a data problem. Because the regulators uh, are, are you know, obviously the breaches as well. They're saying, look, you've you got you to gotta know your data. Uh, and then at the same time, I don't know where my data is because I put it all in the cloud. It's in Salesforce, it's in Mongo, it's in Snowflake, it's in Databricks. It's all over the place. It's like peanut butter on, on like 18 sandwiches. And so those two trends have certainly accelerated through COVID and, and you know, kind of coming out the other end. And maybe we're not quite at the other end. Um, it, and I believe that these are secular trends that are going to continue for this decade. Um and not only that, you're going to start seeing data sovereignty restrictions, right? China doesn't allow you to take data of Chinese citizens out of the country. Germany has restrictions around uh, data. You're going to see some of those restrictions in the U.S. as well, right? You already see it around TikTok. You, TikTok cannot take American uh, citizen data outside of uh, the U.S. So again, to solve for all of this, you need to understand what you have, the risk around it, and be able to provide those kind of actionable insights um, to remove the, those risks, right? Whether it's cross-border data transfer, 
uh, whether it's uh, allowing an internal uh, employee access to that information, et cetera. And that's what, and that's kind of writ large what DSPM kind of aspires to. And obviously, we we entered that space long before Gartner coined the term DSPM in August of last year. But um, and so we got a bit of a head start. But that's really about this problem of data. And like you pointed out, COVID has only exacerbated by it by accelerating the move to the cloud. And again, um, also kind of leading, not leading, but certainly being concomitant with this new regulatory framework where there's data regulate, regulate regulations popping up like mushrooms uh, on a tree branch or a tree root, I guess, tree root. Well, speaking of TikTok, I hate to you know, go there and we're getting towards the end of the show, but I find it so fascinating. And they probably, they may have spent as much, much as you out at RSA. And I happened to go to the TikTok party and then Right when we got back from RSA, you know, TikTok had more issues. Um, do you think TikTok's ever going to go away? I don't know. Look, I think, remember, like a lot of what people use on TikTok today is actually was originated as a U.S. company. I, look, I think I think what people don't know is really what kind of gives rise to, to fear, right? The unknown. Um, and people don't know what is going on with their data. And I think fundamentally... This is why it's so important for organizations to both know and then provide transparency and visibility uh, into that. And again, the technology to do that didn't really exist eight years ago. Um, with companies like Big Idea, now it's starting to exist, where you could truly uh, provide a, on a continuous basis understanding of your data and whether it's crossing borders and you know whether it's being shared with your parties and who's accessing it internally. And then simultaneously, not just providing you that, that knowledge but then giving you the ability to take action on that knowledge, whether that means, well, I need to limit access or I want to be able to delete some of this data because I don't really need it. So why do I have to have it around? Or I want to be able to block it for being able to move from this country to that country. Um, so look, I think, I think, I don't know the, the particulars of TikTok and I'm certainly not going to say that they're doing anything um, um, uh, uh, inappropriate. Um, what I will say is that the lack of visibility gives rise to uh, speculation. And so in a similar vein, when boards of directors don't know their security posture around their data, and remember the data is their crown jewels, right? Their data is like every company is a digital company today. Everything that is of value, your building is of some value, but it's de minimis. Your value is your customer information, your employee information, your patents, your trademarks, your how you do AI. That's what the value stuff is. And so understanding your crown jewels, protecting your crown jewels, getting value from your crown jewels, that is what the um, digital crown jewels, that is what the, what the future is. And DSPM is a big part of that. And like I said, it's a newer acronym. Um, but certainly, Big ID probably from a revenue standpoint is, you know, orders of magnitude bigger than anybody else. Because like I said, we were there before Gartner came up with the name. Um, and so we're kind of riding that wave to a degree. So we're pretty close to, you know, wrapping up the show. And if you had to, we started out the show talking about, you know, resolutions for 2022. If there's something that you had to leave you know, in the hands or in the ears of our listeners, what would your advice be when it comes to um, protecting, you know, managing your data security posture? In one minute, what would your advice be? To, uh, yeah. 
Yeah. So look, I think, I think the advice would be to, there are tools, SaaS and tools you deploy in your cloud, like, like big ID that help you both understand the risk uh, and understand what actions you, you need to take um, to reduce that risk, right? Those, those preventative things. Um, that is what data security posture really aims to do. And I think big idea even beyond data security posture is really about providing you that kind of um, um, method for protecting your data, under meeting certain compliance requirements around that data, whether it's GDPR, CCPA, all those acronyms that I mentioned um, uh, earlier. But also very importantly, getting value, right? Because, and I'll leave, it, leave your audience with this, data has two profiles, right? It's like a quarter. Uh, with two faces, it's like a Jan, you know, a Janus face, right? It's got a risk profile. It's got a value profile. Understanding and minimizing the risk is the first thing you want to do. The second thing you want to do is how do I get more value from that data? Whether it's around AI, BI, a business uh, information reporting, whether it's around personalization. So bigger, like longer term, the security is where you need to start. But then ultimately what, what Big ID aims to do is help organizations get more value uh, from their data more effectively, more efficiently. Well, okay, Dimitri Sirota, the CEO of Big ID, thank you for being here today. Go check out Big ID. Um, I'm sure you can read all about them on LinkedIn, Google search them. They're doing big things out there. Congratulations on all your success. Thanks for being here today, Dimitri. Everyone, um, it was great being here again. You guys have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay secure, and we will see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events. Are you a cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at futureconhq. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host seamless podcast started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.